Another Place is an art piece situated on the shores of Crosby Beach. When you visit these statues, you are drawn in by their haunting presence as they stand facing towards the shore, slowly being pushed and pulled by the oncoming tide. The installation was dreamt up by Anthony Gormley, and each statue in this Iron Legion is a life-size figure of the artist himself. And for me, there's an argument as to whether they can be seen as a peaceful suggestion of how we live together in harmony, neither one faced by the other, or whether they represent a constant battle as nature struggles to take its place in the circle of life, constantly changing the world around us in a primal cycle, while man stands in the way, obstructing and changing its path. It is undeniable that we play our part in the destruction of the planet, whether it be the slow decline of species, changing landscapes to a man-made scenery away from beautiful, naturalistic settings, or altering the climate of our planet. After learning of the story behind Another Place, it was time to move on to the bigger picture. Since the piece is set in Sefton, I wanted to know how the people that live there incorporated nature into their lives, and whether we do live in harmony with it, or whether we're working against it, working to create a world that we feel suits the speed of our evolution. Across the stretch of land in Ainsdale, Highland cattle roam. You watch as they slowly move through the fields, minding their business, as you mimic them in your own way. They belong to Ainsdale's Sand Dunes Nature Reserve. Past the humble hut of the Park Reserve Rangers, there is a stretch of trees, foliage and animals that please all the senses. Smell the grass as you listen to your feet crumble over the stones in the pathways. The Nature Reserve is a fantastic example of how we can work together to preserve the wildlife in our country and improve our relationship with nature. The main aim of the Nature Reserve is to, is to protect and, and enhance those rare creatures and the habitat that they depend on. But it's, it's also for, for people to enjoy and it's also so we can learn more about them. So I suppose those are the three aims. Education and enjoyment, research and um, conservation of those species. David Mercer is the Senior Reserve Manager and he oversees all of the projects it undertakes. He takes pride in making sure that the wildlife is well looked after and that the reserve is looking its best for visitors to enjoy. Well, I suppose we, we think in terms of habitats because without, without the habitat, which is, is where something lives, um, then that creature can't exist. So you can't have one on its own. So, but but one, of the, one of the iconic creatures is Natterjack Toad. Obviously we couldn't just put all those in a box somewhere and say we're looking after them. Yeah. They rely, they are eating something so they're looking for insects to, to live on. And they're running toads, so they, they run to catch their prey, so they like short grass. So then we might be grazing with sheep and mowing, going out with mowers to keep the grass short, yeah. otherwise it will turn into a forest and yeah. then we won't have Natterjack Toads. So, so that's the sort of management that we're carrying out. Um, to preserve these these creatures, so, so yeah, natter jack toads is a good example. But something like um, a June tiger beetle, that's that's a, a predatory insect, an amazing striped insect with big fangs that'll leap onto leap about around and, and grab flies out of the air and eat them. That needs bare sand. It needs that heat to warm up, and it also wants to lay its eggs in bare sand. So it. We want disturbance in the dunes. We want we want the creation of of, of, of that sort of bare sand habitat. Um, 
other, other creatures that are important. Things like the dark green fritillary butterfly. And there, we're wanting some of the wild flowers that it nectars on. But also, we're looking for violets. Um, we want to encourage violets because that's what its caterpillars eat. So there's a, yeah, this whole web of interactions and we're trying to do what we can to encourage them. We have a lot to answer for when it comes to the destruction of wildlife and natural habitats. Due to problems such as littering, pollution and global warming, we are seeing a decline in our natural wildlife, as well as a shift in our landscapes. In the last 45 years, there has been a decline of 50% in the population of over 28 species of bird. Bats are in decline through a loss of habitat caused by building work or by colliding with cars through crossing paths in natural commutes. When we think of our wildlife, we tend to think only of animals, but there has also been a decline in flowers and plants. 97% of our wildflower meadows have disappeared since the Second World War, and to make matters worse, one in five of all UK flowering plants are now threatened with extinction. Although these can be problems that we tend to brush under the rug and try not to take responsibility for, it is something we have to pay attention to, because much of it is down to our own activity. Uh, on a dry summer, um, people come and will, will camp in the reserve. Uh, they're not allowed, but a lot often they don't cause any problems if they clear up all the rubbish and disappear and we don't know they've been there. But if people leave rubbish, and especially if they leave a fire going, we quite often get a forest fire. And so that's a big threat, obviously big threat to the red squirrels if we have a forest fire. In 2006 we had a huge fire and it took over a week to get it under control. We also have grass fires. And if those grass fires happen in the summer we can have ground nesting birds. Um, that the fire will just rip right across the dunes. So people have got to be really careful not to light fires, not to drop cigarettes, especially in really hot weather. Uh, we do have firefighting equipment on the reserve, but we, we can't always keep these fires under control. Um, other threats, there's a lot of nitrogen dropping out of the air. So from car pollution, um, from power stations, central heating systems. So that, that nitrogen fertilises ground and you think well that's not too much of a problem but all, a lot of our rarer flowers and plants depend on there not being very much nitrogen. If there's a lot of nitrogen we get a lot of thick grasses and we start to get scrub growing very fast and trees and we lose our rare habitats. So they completely change and in some places they've equated the pollution rate to be something like somebody getting 15 kilograms of nitrogen and just spreading it over each couple of hectares. There are things that we can do to keep our wildlife safe. This is why the reserve relies heavily on public support. The park is taken care of by many volunteers, all of whom work hard to keep the delicate balance of the animals and plants relying on to survive. We have 70 registered volunteers and they, they'll do all manner of jobs. So some of them will um, come and do practical work on the reserve, um, scrub cutting, grass cutting, tree planting, um, path cutting back and other people come and check the livestock for us and check fences and other people will come and do wildlife surveys or help with education events. So we're really really lucky that we've got that large workforce from the local community who will come and put in their time. The team that works at the reserve alongside the volunteers are taking many projects to keep it thriving. When the summer months come around it is the perfect time to take to the reserve and get hands on with the wildlife. 
chop down some pine trees and replant and that's to ensure there's a good food supply in the future for the red squirrel because as the, as the pine trees get old they stop producing seeds so we have to cut those ones down and replant with younger trees. Um, grazing, so in, in order to keep the open dunes we, we have sheep and we have cattle that we put on and that means we have to put up fences. And the other main project that we have to look at is we're on an eroding coastline and some of those open dunes are being disconnected from each other because the, the coast is washing away up against the woodland edge. So we have to work out a way of working with the public to devise a plan for managing some of those frontal woodlands so that the sand dunes can stay connected all the way down the coast so these important species can stay connected with one another. Because isolated populations die out. Yeah. So we try to keep all the populations connected all the way along the coast. There are some things that seem to worry visitors of the reserve. Things that on the surface seem to look like members of the reserve harming the landscape and ruining some of the habitats. However, some maintenance and a degree of stepping in the way of nature's path is needed in order to keep every species healthy. Sometimes we're halting the natural succession because the natural succession here would be for the sand dunes to turn into an oak woodland. But then we'd lose all our rare species. So in a way, we're halting some of those natural processes and keeping the habitat where it's right for some of the rarer species. You're always trying to keep things in balance. Um, there's the old adage that you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. And sometimes, yes, you might be removing some pine trees. Well, they, they could be used by red squirrel. But if the pine trees didn't go, then two pieces of open dune wouldn't be connected together anymore. And you might find further down the road that the natterjack toads are dying out. So it's just finding that balance and that's why we always have to do a lot of survey work so that we know what species we have and how the populations are doing. And then we can base our management on that. Um, but it, yes, it can, it can be counterintuitive if someone thinks, well, it's a nature reserve, what, what are they doing? They're just they're cutting a tree down. Um, and trees are one thing that are really emotive. But when you think about these species being dependent on these, these amazingly rare open habitats, that's, that's why it's sometimes we're, in a way, making the best of a bad job, but we're trying to make room for all the wildlife that uses the reserve. This is why it is so hard to determine who holds the power in the relationship between man and nature. Nature will always be the almighty power, as it has been throughout the history of mankind and of the history of the Earth itself. But with mankind becoming stronger and more knowledgeable as a species, we are finding new ways to make the landscapes of Earth our own creation, using nature as an ally rather than a force to be reckoned with. The staff at the reserve are not ones to shy away from a celebration, and with the Nature Reserve celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, they have a great plan to ring in their success. Okay, um, a big one for us this year is it's our 50th anniversary. So it's been a National Nature Reserve since 1965, and we're hoping to have a big birthday party for the reserve. So th there's partners up and down the coast, different landowners. We all work together um, as part of the Sefton Coastal Partnership um, to preserve and enhance the wildlife all the way along the coast. I'm going to invite all those partners onto the reserve and we're going to have a festival in the summer. Um, and so the public will be able to come along, get involved. And one of the, one of the projects we're going to run is a bio-blitz where you see in 24 hours how many species you can identify 
so the public can come along, they can go out with an expert and they can write down as many species as they can in say an hour and come back and they'll be recorded and it's a, it's a way of getting the public involved and appreciating all these amazing species we have that usually you might just walk past or not even notice unless you're out with an expert. The northern line is like Sefton's spine. The trains follow the coastline, mimicking its movements along the path from Bootle to Southport. You board the train, children bustling around you, racing for the best seat, while their parents shuffle past to get to them safely. The train begins to move out. You listen to it wear and pair as it pulls itself down the tracks. Before long, you find yourself following the path of the docks. You watch the people as you go past, working quickly. You can almost smell the sea air as you move on swiftly towards open plains, constantly changing from open fields to little towns where more passengers board the train. They sit next to you and around you, all looking quietly down at their laps, or like you, unable to look away from the window as the sun shines through and illuminates the different views as you move down the coast. The coastline slowly turns to woodland. The trees loom over with the sun splitting through, still managing to warm your face. You open the window to hear the birds chirping. Children poke and prod at the window excitedly at the sight of squirrels. The train pulls into the station and you disembark, ready to start your adventure of the Sefton coast. Although transport is a great thing, allowing us to reach all of these beautiful places quickly and comfortably, we do tend to shy away from the environmental impact that these vehicles have on our climate and our precious wildlife. Chemicals are being pumped into the atmosphere through our cars, hastening problems such as global warming, and unfortunately we are all witness to poor animals being the victim of roadkill. Although some may say the train lands harm habitats and cut through unspoilt land, we have to look at the bigger picture. By creating more eco-friendly transport for us all to use, we might see a decline in car use, and with us all using the same trains and the same buses, we are halving the amount of carbon dioxide in the air and halving the amount of petrol and oils used. In order to find out more about how the transport industry is responding to demands to be more eco-friendly, I spoke to Kath Johnston, who is the Environment and Energy Manager at Merseyrail. Kath is one of the Merseyrail employees involved in the redesign of Ainsdale Railway Station, a station that is leading the way in the company's plans to alter their environmental impact and lighten their carbon footprint. Um, Ainsdale Station is in the heart of Ainsdale Village and plays a central role to the community. Um, this was one of the first stations that was sort of adopted by the local community, mainly to brighten it up and to make a more pleasant environment um, with planters of flowers. And the station also now has a lending library for customers and the local community's use. Um, funding has now been approved by the government to rebuild the dated and mis mismatched station which will have sustainability at its heart and will include renewable energy such as solar panels, LED lighting and it will be sympathetic to the local area. Mersey Rail is dedicated to improving their carbon footprint and are always looking for different ways to do this 
This includes working with the public and getting involved with hands-on projects that are beneficial to all that take part. 41 of the 66 Mersey Rail stations have now been officially adopted or have community partnerships in place. These include sort of schools, Edible Wirral, local residents associations, uh, gardening enthusiasts, rail users, schools, youth clubs, and lots of local businesses are now involved. The projects are voluntary and encourage local communities to have involvement at our stations, from creating a flower border to art installations, to providing community information and library services. All of the projects are working well, and we're to spread about how they are beneficial not only to the look of the station, making them more attractive, but it is giving people something to be proud of. This is both refreshing and inspiring, as I feel that environmental issues are something that everyone needs to take into account and get involved in as much as they can to do their bit. Sefton is a beautiful place with everything on offer from beaches to beautiful woodland and it is important and inspiring that the community of Sefton is taking responsibility of looking after it, which is something we can all look up to for our own communities. Yes, we can help our planet by turning off lights in rooms that we aren't using. We can recycle every material that can be reused in our homes and try to keep waste to a minimum. But by getting involved with projects like this, we get a sense of ownership of these stations and a sense of pride in taking care of it. With projects at Ainsdale becoming such a success, there are talks in Merseyrail of moving these projects onto other stations, possibly your local station. There's a fantastic sign that maybe in a few years we will all have the same connection to our local train stations that the people of Ainsdale so clearly have to theirs. With all of this great feedback and with such hard work coming from the team from Merseyrail and all of those involved, it seemed important to ask Kath why she felt Merseyrail was so determined to lighten their carbon footprint. I think the main reason is, as a company, we do care for our environment and the communities that we serve. Um, I think it's demonstrated by the very ambition that Merseyrail have committed to, to being recognised as the best possible transport service provider for our customers by continually improving our business. Um, as I mentioned previously, our vision is to contribute to a sustainable, carbon-friendly transport system. Speaking to Merseyrail made me aware that it is all about keeping things in balance. David and the Nature Reserve are looking at keeping the more natural side of the planet thriving and making sure we stick to the natural course of things as much as possible. Whereas the team from Merseyrail recognise that unfortunately this cannot always be the case. With populations so high, there has to be a way for people to get from A to B, and this means using natural resources to move forward. But once again, the need for balance comes into place. Merseyrail understands that they have to keep moving forward in terms of expansion because of the ever-growing population. But mankind is also becoming more aware of our environmental impact, so there is a pressure on these big companies to stay as environmentally friendly as possible. At the end of both of my interviews with David and Kath, I spoke to them about how you can get involved and who you should talk to if any of the projects mentioned from either company will be something you're interested in. If you think you'd love to get involved with the Nature Reserve, David suggests... The best way, really, is they can look on our Facebook page for Natural England, for Ainsdale Sand Dunes, um, and get contact numbers. They could ring, ring up the office... Um, if they go onto our website, it's a government website, but it will have the contact details for myself, Dave Mercer, and my telephone numbers, um, or they can send us an email. Or if they're on the Nature Reserve, they can just drop into the office, which is the bungalow on the Nature Reserve, um, pop in and say they're interested in volunteering and finding out what, what projects we have running. 
Or if you think you'd rather get involved with your local station and get some of your favourite flowers blooming in the windows, and Kath had this to say. Well, we would welcome them to contact Merseyrail. Um, they can do this in two ways. One, via our website, which is www.merseyrail.org. Or to email us at comment at merseyrail.org. Doran and I go to St Gregory's Catholic Primary School in Lydiate and for the past year I've been the Eco-Champion of Sefton. The Sefton Eco-Champion Award is given out once a year to a young person who has shown dedication to the cause and has been an inspiration to those around them. Last year it was a young girl named Holly Doran who was involved with many activities in her school including litter picking and the Bumblebee Project. Um, well I've done some presentations to my school about carbon footprints and um, how to help save the world. I've been on a canal cleanup, and it's really made me feel like I'm making a difference in my little part of the world. Um, I think it was around in year one, um, Mrs McDonnell announced that she was going to start an eco club. So then I got interested because, um, I don't know, I just got interested. So then I went along and I've, I've been like glued to it ever since. Um, it's mainly about litter because if you throw a piece of litter into a stream or lake, it can kill swans and ducks and pollute the water. Um, but it's mainly about knowing what you can do so that you can prevent it. The fact that children are getting so involved with their schools, their neighbourhoods and local businesses is fantastic news and gives me hope for the future of our planet. Most of these children are doing more work for the environment than I hear from of adults twice, three times their age. Their dedication to the welfare of our planet and the welfare of our future is something that I hope they carry with them well into their future and I hope that they continue to work and inspire the rest of us to do our part. I'm Paige Stoddart and I'm from Shoreside Primary School. And I'm Cameron Hunter from also Shoreside Primary School. Uh, I'm Tom Weeks and I'm from Shoreside Primary School. Well, we spent a whole year on it and we looked at the different seasons and how they changed. Um, basically, we just wanted to show people what was right on their doorstep and what they were missing out on. We saw lots of interesting and um, good plants that um, <laughs> grow differently in the different seasons that were very fascinating. One of the things they can do is pretty easy, just go, go down there and see, see what's go, going on. I, I, whether, I, it should be accessible to everyone and that's one of the things, main things that should happen. I'm Tom Hawksey and I'm from Burtdale High School and I've just won the Eco Champion Award. Uh, it, well, one was to get a paper baguette machine to um, I burn them because like, it's a biofuel and it stops like carbon dioxide and it's safer than uh, fossil fuels. I just thought because we could use, instead of just throwing all the paper away, we could use the paper uh, to actually sell so people can burn it. So it's, um, it's not so much scrap paper. So who knows? Maybe if you try hard enough to help your local community and the environment, you could find yourself receiving this award in the next year. In the end, the earth is in a delicate balance which needs our help to be able to survive and thrive. We have come to take it for granted, letting our duties to keep the planet happy and healthy slide. The Another Place piece shows us how nature and humans are in a constant battle, which, after all of this research, isn't about winning. It's about learning to live with each other, whether we're trying to keep its cycles as natural as possible, keeping wildlife in peace, or whether it's using its natural powers for our benefit. 
It's about using these powers and forces in a positive light, but also remembering to give back. Taking care of our planet means taking care of our future, which is a lesson we all need to learn sooner rather than later.